Hi, and thank you for listening to the East German Fashion History Podcast. New episodes are published every Tuesday, and if you're looking for a good weekend read, tune in on Fridays for our Got a Hot Minute book reviews. They're fast, five minutes, done. So a few things to consider before we delve in. Um, when we're looking at East Germany and its fashion culture, it's really important to think of the cultural filter that we're peering from and the historical context of what we're looking into. For an example, as a West German-born American with no personal experience of having lived in the German Democratic Republic, it's important that my sources remain objective to and with great sensitivity towards East German perspectives and voices. One particular matter of concern is refraining from any underlying sense of nostalgie. Nostalgie, um, as defined by the anthropologist Daphne Birdall, represents loss, belonging, solidarity, and at a time that differentiates Aussies or East Germans. Still others find the products of nostalgie appealing as reminders of the daily hardships that they had to overcome for the through the collapse of socialism. And nostalgie in all of its forms does not entail an identification with the former GDR state, but rather an identification with different forms of oppositional solidarity and collective memory. And it can evoke feelings of longing, mourning, resentment, anger, relief, redemption, and satisfaction, often within the same individuals. So to put it frankly, it's basically a, quote, longing for the down-to-earth aspects of a bygone era, if not a collapsed political belief system in itself. And for more on that, you can check out um, the Deutsche Welle article, which I will post on that. So Ostalgie has become a trend among tourists with special shops that sell products from the former GDR and parties where music is played. But we also have to consider that the injustices committed by the regime, um, that remembering the GDR period is always accompanied with a sort of ambivalence. So throughout this series, I'm going to try to avoid any romanticized notions that would evoke any idea of nostalgie, since it's not my past and it's not a past um, that I can identify with at all. For more on this, I recommend reading Ostalgie and the Politics of the Future in Eastern Germany. It is also important to differentiate how we speak about East Germany, which East Germany connotes a time and a place, that time being October 7th, at, between October 7th, 1949 and October 3rd, 1990, and that place being the German Democratic Republic, um, which was a part of the Eastern Bloc, versus when we talk about Eastern Germany, which is a geographic marker. And lastly, while I try to keep my beliefs private, this podcast reflects no political leanings. While anti-fascist, 
This is not pro-capitalist, anti-capitalist, pro-socialist, anti-socialist, or wherever on the spectrum between capitalism and communism one's values lean towards. If nothing else, this is just an examination of one of the many often overlooked histories from the study of fashion, at least from an American vantage point. So where does it all start? Well, I want to begin with an easy-to-follow framework um, of some hard facts and dates under which the fashion culture of East Germany had came into its own. We're going to revisit um, key dates from leading from the fall of World War II and up to the creation of the German Democratic Republic. So let's begin with May 7th, 1945. Germany and the Nazis officially surrendered to the Allies knowing defeat was imminent. At this time, the Soviets were approaching the capital of Berlin from the east and the Allies from the west. And in that same year, in August, leaders from the United Kingdom, France, the Soviet Union, and the United States had all met in Potsdam, which is um, outside, it's like not too far outside of Berlin, um, for talks about Germany's further occupation and reconstruction. Now, in this Potsdam agreement, what they set to outline was really address major major concepts like addressing territorial borders, a course for demilitarization, and reparations and the prosecution of war criminals. So by the end of April... 1946, the Social Democratic Party of Germany, SPD, and the Communist Party of Germany, KPD, were forced to essentially dilute into one ruling party called the Sozialistische Einheitspartei, or Socialist Unity Party. This later became the governing body of the German Democratic Republic, the GDR. And... Moving on, so it's 1947, a year later, um, Germany is totally divided, political parties have merged or dissolved, and boundaries have been drawn up. But now to further complicate matters, central portions of Prussia, which had been a part of the Soviet occupation zone since 1945, were now dissolved by the Allied parties. This territory was divided between um, Lenda, or German states of Brandenburg, Mecklenburg, Saxony, Saxony-Anhalt, and Thuringia. And on October 7th of 1949, the Soviet Besatzungszone, or the Soviet Occupation Zone, which we just spoke of, um, was one of the four Allied occupation zones of Germany um, that eventually became, officially became the German Democratic Republic, which lost, uh, th- which those five Länder we had spoken about were then um, realigned in 1952 into 14 districts in addition to East Berlin. So there's a lot of geographical and territorial boundaries that are happening. Um, And I can also provide this outline, this quick and dirty outline on my blog, which I'll have a link on the Spotify podcast. 
So moving on to the reconstruction of fashion, dress, and style in the GDR. Now, we're going to start with and have to mention the immediate post-war because parallel to these dates, there is an insurmountable amount of debt, uh, destruction, and really a feeling of irreparable disorder from you know, the basic infrastructure to one's everyday at a very existential level. You had naturally poverty, hunger, housing, and other shortages, as well as the arrival of millions of refugees from East German provinces, um, and that really set the stage for societal desperation. And despite the incredible help of the Marshall Plan in 1949, me, um, many Germans, both East and West, really still couldn't afford to buy anything besides the absolute essentials. And I think uh, I think one of the most iconic symbols of the strength um, of post-war Germany were the Trümmerfrauen, or rubble women. And if you happen to be in Germany or in, in the European area and are able to travel at this point, um, I suggest going to Dresden. There's a really beautiful... Uh, memorial to the Trümmerfrau, which I can post as well. Um, now, the Trümmerfrau was characterized by her dress, which consisted of usually heavy stockings or pants layered over, layered under a dress, and iconically, she had this scarf wrapped around her head. Um, she would work nine-hour shifts uh, with up to 30-minute lunch breaks and basically spend her entire day and night um, cleaning the rubble and damage left in the streets. And after, you know, finishing a day's work, would get roughly nine food ration cards and six Reichmarks and 48 Fennig, which for comparison um, equated to one loaf of bread was about 80 marks, one pound of butter was 600 marks, and one cigarette was 10 marks. So that's really encapsulates that immediate post-war, post-war era. Um, I'd also like to introduce some of the more fashion dress sections of this episode with a quote that's really emblematic of what's still happening um, at this time in the 40s, late 40s. Um, this dire existential situation of post-war Germany. And this is essentially what the GDR had to build back its fashion industry upon. Quote, Today we have in Germany, as a result of Hitler's war of conquest, neither raw materials nor processing industries that rule the basis for fashion. The fashion goddess is, like so many other false gods, dethroned. Her leadership principle, or Führungsprinzip, is over. No, there is no fashion in the previous sense, and there won't be <clears throat> any for years to come. <coughs> Excuse me. But what will take place, that is a new problem. Now, this was from a February 1946 issue of <clears throat> Frau von Heute, which was a popular women's magazine at the time in the mid to late 40s. So we have clothing rations, and these have been in place since August 1939. 
And I just want to rewind a bit because shortly before the war in, of August 1939, um, in before World War II, there was this common theme <clears throat> of creating new from old. And in fact, I have a clipping from a July 28th, 1939 issue of D-Dama. D-Dama was basically the dominant fashion magazine of Nazi Germany. And this one article featured a title, featured, had an article with a title, Sommerkleider aus Mobilstoffen, which basically translates to summer dresses out of upholstery textiles. So this is, this practice had been going on for years now out of necessity. And this concept of creating something old from new definitely continued into the post-war years, um, even was even featured in a, 19, a September 1945 fashion show, which we'll get to in a minute. And um, But I really want to talk about this one specific element from a 1948 issue of Frau von Heute. And this is the late 40s, in which they're saying, quote, In this year, we wear everything that fits and suits us and has survived the chaos of war. When someone inquisitively looks at the new summer dress mode from old curtains, then we just laugh coyly over our shoulder and say, yes, that is now the latest. So with that in mind, it was only natural that the Flickenkleid trend had a whole new meaning. Now, what is the Flickenkleid? Well, from tablecloths to uniforms, military bedsheets, um, these were basically, these would create patchwork dresses. And this was really an effective adaptation to post-war Germany's shortages and sheer austerity, as patterns would often be published in consumer magazines and were considered, quote, inspiration. <clears throat> But this Flickenkleid uh, trend and necessity, it was dress at that point, was for the German Democratic Republic, um, this idea of making a new from old concept was naturally fraught with political dissent. And it was really, so it was East German Marxists that believed that this was really helping to enable the quote, unreasonable and fickle moods of fashion which in itself is a problematically capitalist concept. That being said, though, and we'll explore that this, this notion um, will swiftly fade into, uh, fade into obscurity because fashion and dress as an expression was really an expression of the health and wealth of the socialist state. Um, after all, we have to think about this, that you know the German Democratic Republic was also seen as the the Soviet Union's child prodigy or show pony. Um, so it would be likely to assume that the idea of saving face in every aspect and that that would that would be considered fashion is a is a socialist imperative. Um, the assistant director of the German Fashion Institute, which we'll talk about this organization next week, Walter Kahl asserted that dress was the most visual manifestation for the success of the GDR and also really affected the, quote, mood of our population. He really impressed that fashion's agency was really to epitomize the strength um, and 
and the potential of the, the state by saying that, you know, you, quote, measure a state, the state of our development in a large part by the impression that they, foreigners, receive from the offerings, the street scene and clothing of our people. Because essentially poor quality clothing, he surmised, would, you know, he would say one will speak dis- disrespectfully about us. One will say that they can't even dress themselves properly and yet they want to construct socialism because people are inclined to really measure the value of one or the other society and they starting out with the things in, our, in their daily lives um, and those external world of appearances. So saving face is a huge, huge theme that I think we'll see permeate throughout the course of understanding East German fashion history. <clears throat> While the GDR was, you know, a total revolution from what came before, though, of course, many of the same values that persisted within consumer culture were to prevail. And one of these values, which is integral to to the state of East, to the strength of East Germany, was the idea of the consumer citizen. The consumer citizen um, was really obligated to be discriminatory and selective and using their buying power to force the industry to improve its offerings. It was seen as, you know, a vote in in GDR consumerism was a vote for the GDR and a vote for this planned economy, which they've set up. And it really showed, you know, the capability of their socialist textile industry. Now, party leaders were well aware of this, and they were well aware that consumers, East German consumers who rejected East German goods in favor of West Berlin shops um, was really a vote against the GDR. And the political success of the GDR largely depended on its supply of consumer goods. And these goods were not only to fill essential needs, but also had to appeal to the consumers' various desires. But, you know, we're coming right out of World War II. Um, The East German fashion textile industry is already in a really rough shape. And for, for a slew of reasons, you know, you had the disposition and mass execution and murder of, of a Jewish workforce and, and business people. You had the destruction and the Aryanization of uh, where many factories were damaged during the war, and then they had to be converted into wartime con- production. You had a division of loss of territory in the East, a flow with East German refugees to the West. Um, You also had a silk industry, and that silk industry was mainly in the West. So a lot of those fibers that they were making were um, synthetic. And lastly, of course, you had unimaginable shortages of raw materials. I mean, before the war, Germany had imported its entire supply of cotton and a large portion of its wool. But since the Soviet zone wasn't able to afford it, these materials, um, they had to continue with the domestic production of rayon. And while they had the capabilities, they didn't have all the full capabilities. And a lot of this rayon was in very poor quality. 
And because of specific chemical preparations, um, there were a lot of difficulties in the process, and that led to completely halting the production of rayon. Because of that, you, you, you had increasing imports of cotton and wool from the Soviet Union, and that was usually low grade. And as, as we know, low grade cotton and wool of low quality um, would produce a poor yarn. And then if you mix that with inferior dyes, that really causes drab colors that are just going to bleed out through the first washing. So they really had a, a huge a bevy of concerns and issues that they had to ship into shape and figure out how to produce something that, that was successful and appealing to consumerist desires. And that's really how East German, the East German fashion industry was beginning to become restructured. In terms of how it was organized, um, the central government, this was in, we're talking like 1952 here, and the central government oversaw at least 15 regions. That was 200 districts, and those orders would be passed down from the central government into regions. Um, you then had um, you know, the clothing and textile trade and distribution of the GDR was really constructed of two major parts, wholesalers and retailers. First, you had state-owned wholesalers, or Großhandel, um, which were organized into six central ware offices, and they would purport to the Ministry of Trade and Provisioning. Wholesalers would work with retailers, which were placed under the responsibility of local authorities and state-owned um, Handelsorganisation stores. These were con really considered like consumer co cooperatives that would replace all the former private stores. Now, alongside all of the consumer and all of all of the logistical uh, distribution nightmares that had that they had to rebuild up and then reorganize, you also had to think about fashion as a whole and what was really going to hold it all in. And that really was led up to that was really the responsibility of the Institute for Clothing Culture, um, founded also in 1952. This was later renamed the German Fashion in Institute, and we're going to talk heavily about that um, in our next episode. But this was really the centralized institution, and they were tasked with everything from designing uh, the marketing and facilitating the production and the distribution of the fashion line of the GDR. And this really extended into every facet of the fashion culture dress as well as in style and they were tasked with you know writing essays and editorials on aesthetics dictating good taste on clothing and design and so forth um and the german fashion institute would work closely with the vvb konfektion which was a central association of state-owned garment factories and that would coordinate between numerous branches of the industry, trade, and media. So I've given you a lot of history, a lot of different histories to unpack, and you know, I hope you have I hope you have some time to let that sort of congeal. And from the Trümmerfrauen to the politics behind the post-war uh, patchwork dress, 
and to the total reconstruction of East German fashion industry, you know, I really want you to look at a lot, to really examine a lot of these as many histories interdependently linked into one history or assimilated history, which is, you know, on to better understand fashion and East German fashion. And next week, I, you know, really can't wait to start delving into the evolution of East German fashion culture and looking at the German Fashion Institute, as I'd mentioned before, but also um, a really beautiful publication. It was called Zibille, Zibille Magazine. And this was the dominant fashion publication of East German, of East Germany. And then finally, we're also going to talk about Heinz Bormann, Heinz Bormann, who was known as the Red Dior. If you like more from this episode, I'll be posting weekly bibliographical rec- recommendations on the blog. This, the blog. And as I said before, if you're looking for a great weekend read, you should check out Got a Hot Minute. Um, those are our five-minute book reviews on Fridays. This week, I'll be reviewing Judge Stitzel's um, Fashioning Socialism, Clothing, Politics, and Consumer Culture in East Germany. Lastly, I'd really like to say a very special thank you so much to my friends at the Unravel Podcast and Chic Podcast by Kat Sark for all their support, encouragement, and insights into creating this episode. Thank you so much, and I'll see you next week.